Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. Today, we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined in studio by Jeff Darrow, who is the Vice President for Epic Pipeline. So today, we're going to switch gears just a little bit and talk about pipelines, because we know that everyone has tons of questions about pipeline infrastructure. But before we bring Jeff on the show, I'd like to talk about our latest issue of Shell Magazine. Our cover, this issue, is ConocoPhillips in which we talk a little bit about the amazing company, their great work that they did in handling Hurricane Harvey, and of course, the chairman and CEO, Ryan Lance as well. It's an issue that you definitely want to read. So I encourage you to go to shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and read all about ConocoPhillips and Ryan Lance. But now it is time for our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show this week. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. That's right. And you know what? Before we get into oil and gas and politics, I I, I do want to mention, you know, we're getting close to the cutoff for registration. If if, uh, anyone is interested in voting, uh, it's going to be an important election, and I just thought that it would be good to start off with, uh, please go register to vote. It's it's a, a privilege and a right that we should take advantage of. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, please take advantage of a voting, and the cutoff is, is, is nearing to be able yeah, to register. And, and early voting starts in just two weeks, so exactly. uh, here in Texas. And, you know, I didn't know. I had done a, a, a change to an address, and I didn't know that I didn't have my registration, so I'm glad I looked into it, and I'm registered to vote, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, Let me jump into a study, a study that came out of the University of Texas found that there is no connection between drilling in the Barnett Shell region of North Texas and the methane that has been found in some groundwater out there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Did you see that study? And if so, tell me about it. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's this is the latest in a long, 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 long line of studies that have tested for this over the last 15 years, and uh, every one of them has reached the same finding. This was a very expensive and exhaustive study uh, conducted over a period of four years uh, by scientists at both the University of Texas and also uh, jointly with uh, the University of Michigan. And, um, you know, they they all reached the same conclusion. There is naturally occurring methane in in some water in some areas up around Roanoke and and a couple of other communities in the Barnett Shale region. And there has been forever, Um, you know, going back as long as human beings have lived in those areas. And and typically what the case is, what you end up finding is there is a seam of underground coal or lignite. Uh, All coal and lignite formations contain methane gas and it leaches out of those formations into the groundwater and comes up out of the sink and and you know but when the oil industry started uh, drilling for for natural gas uh, in this area in the early part of this century uh, some um, environmental environmentalist protest groups began blaming that on 
the industry. And so we've had, you know, spent literally millions and millions of dollars uh, on uh, at least a dozen different studies, all of which reach the same conclusion. So, I'm, you know, I'm glad it's there, you know, and uh, it's just, it, it, it just, is what it is. And I guess, you know, two or three years from now, we'll have another big study that costs a lot of money, come to the same conclusion again. Exactly. I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand that, that, you know, it, it's not always oil and gas. There are natural phenomenons that happen. Um, here's another one. It's not, not, not a natural phenomenon. It's actually quite um, predictable. Whenever it seems like oil prices go up in the U.S. and they've gone up again to $71, it seems like things start all over again with media reports and, and people that start making these predictions that oil is going to return to $100 or over $100 a barrel. Tell me, we've had this discussion, but let's talk about it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know how long this has to go on with, with the obvious fact that OPEC in Russia and 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 these other non-OPEC countries are in very you know pretty strict control of the price of oil right now, and they like it pretty much where it is. They may let it go a little higher, but they have the ability to put more oil on the market when it goes too high and bring it back down. And they've done this repeatedly for two years now. And the thought that we're they're going to allow the price to go to $100 a barrel and kill demand globally. And, and possibly put the global economy in a, a big recession is preposterous. It's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, it, I do think, I continue to think they're going to allow the, the price here in the U.S. to get up to about $75 a barrel by the end of this year. That's what you were saying and, at the beginning uh, of the year. So Yeah, and, and it's, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was 65 and they're letting it gradually rise until probably WTI gets to about $75. And then Saudi Arabia and some of these other countries will put some more oil onto the market to uh, make sure that uh, it stabilizes there because that's their target price right now. And that's where it's going to be probably at the end of the year. But we're not going to $100. I, I have to tell you, there's one writer, one guy that writes a piece almost every day on this stuff and on Monday or Tuesday I get of last week he said oh the price is definitely going to go to $100 and the very next day he writes a piece titled Goldman Sachs says there's no way the price is going to $100 so you know <laughs> it's just this kind of clickbait nonsense that goes on in the media these days exactly and uh, another report that came out from Raymond James was very interesting as well it was discussing pipeline and uh, you know on this show later on in the show we're going to have Jeff Darrow who is VP of Epic Pipeline. But in their article, or in this article, Raymond James, the investment firm, predicts that pipeline constraints, which we know they're starting to have in the oil and gas, uh, in the Permian Basin might last for another 12 months. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Uh, you know, Epic is, is building their line and several other lines are under construction. And uh, one, one big line is going to open here by the end of October, which is good. But you know, uh, there's there's very real shortage of takeaway capacity out there, and it's just we have several new lines scheduled to come online between now and a year from now, and I think by then th this situation will be pretty much resolved. But uh, in the meantime, there's going to be constraints, and as we noted last week, uh, some of the drilling capital that was originally 
uh, slated for the Permian Basin is actually moving to some other areas like the Eagle Ford Shell and the Bakken, and, and uh, that'll just continue to happen here over the next year or so. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Jeff has to say because, you know, uh, we 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 had him come to the State of Energy and talk to that group when we we did our State of Energy there in Corpus and uh, uh, see how much expansion they're doing. It's a good thing, uh, in my opinion, because it actually is focusing directly on Permian Basin and Eagle Ford area. So I can't wait to get him on the show as well here a little bit later on. Well, changing gears and getting into politics a little bit, David, um, this past week, President Trump spoke to the U.N., uh, and uh, his speech was powerful, in my opinion. Tell me what you thought about his speech to the U.N. Oh, I thought it was extraordinary. I, th- I think it's uh, one of the grandest speeches any U.S. president has ever given at the United Nations. Um, unfortunately, of course, our, our news media uh, completely mischaracterized and lied about it afterwards. But uh, I'd urge anybody to to go out and, and find a, a YouTube of, of the entire speech and watch it because it was uh, this was why uh, Donald Trump got elected in 2016. It was a stirring defense of U.S. sovereignty and uh, condemnation of globalism, and that's why he won the election and what his policies are designed to implement. And um, it was pretty amazing. And then, uh, of course, he conducted a 90-minute press conference the next day, which was also incredibly wide-ranging and uh, very entertaining, very highly entertaining. He knows uh, how to get a laugh and and to, uh, but make you know pretty strong political points at the same time. Uh, it, it was a really good two days, I think, for for President Trump. I agree. I just uh, wonder what all those people in the UN were thinking when when he was saying things like the U.S. has the right to, uh, of course, um, feel and take care of their beliefs, and our beliefs are Christian. And then I really enjoyed when he closed with the. Uh, God bless uh, America to a lot of countries that, you know, don't really like our God. So I found that kind of interesting that he just didn't care what their beliefs were. Like, these are mine. These are ours. And we're sticking to them. Uh, And the other thing that I found interesting about his speech was when he discussed how we shouldn't, the answer should not be that we should be taking in all of these immigrants. It should be we should be helping these countries to get stable and he referenced Venezuela and how socialism doesn't work. That was powerful to me as well. It, it was very powerful. And, of course, Venezuela is collapsing. Uh, you know, you talk about immigration. But, you know, we're not having a lot of Venezuela uh, immigration into the United States, but they are overwhelming Colombia right now and its economy. And, um, you know, the best solution to that issue is to, to figure out a way to stabilize Venezuela, which – you know, unfortunately, is going to mean a change in in the regime that uh, is governing the state right now. But uh, but yeah, anyway, it's it's a tough tough situation down there, and it's it's really tragic because Venezuela was such a vibrant country for so many years. I know. Well, David, that's all the time we have. Look forward to having you back next week when we can talk energy and politics again. Until next week, thank you so much, and have a great weekend. I will look forward to it. Thank you. You're listening to In the Old Patch, and we'll be right back. 
in the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. Like oil, gasoline stockpiles in the United States also increased last week, rising by 1.5 million barrels to 236 million barrels total. This is 18 million barrels more than the same week last year. The rising gasoline stockpiles came even as the EIA reported that U.S. refineries ran at 90% utilization last week, a full five percentage points lower than normal. In other news, the Saudi oil minister yesterday said that he is not recommending that OPEC increase production as non-OPEC members led by the United States will boost their production by 2.4 million barrels per day next year, while the world is only forecasted to add 1.5 million barrels per day of demand. WTI rose 66 cents yesterday to close at $72.23 per barrel. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. Oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jeff Darrow, who is the Vice President of Commercial Operations for Epic Pipeline LP. Jeff, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Before we get started talking a little bit about Epic Pipeline and, of course, your role with Epic Pipeline, uh, I want to just briefly uh, thank you for joining us for our State of Energy, which is where we actually met you at our annual event that happens in Corpus Christi to talk about what's going on, all things energy for the Corpus Christi market. And this is how, of course, we learned a little bit about Epic Pipeline. So thank you for joining us at our State of Energy. Tell me a little bit about Epic Pipeline, uh, a little bit about the company's history, how long has it been operating, and where is Epic Pipeline at in the United States? Okay. Um, so Epic Pipeline... Um, has been around for about three years. Um, We're based out of San Antonio, Texas. Um, We've been a a South Texas basic player um, for for many years. Um, So Epic Pipeline started um, as a company called Techstar Midstream Logistics, which uh, has been affiliated with Blackbrush Oil and Gas in South Texas. Um, Started out as a uh, midstream company that was just a doing gathering and processing for Blackbrush Oil and Gas, and we quickly outgrew uh, just doing work for that one producer over over a period of time. Um, so it was started back in 2004 and uh, really exploded and grew during the, uh, the Eagleford explosion and uh, did a lot of midstream work in the Eagleford for uh, both sweet and sour gas processing, liquid fractionation down in Corpus, as well as uh, crude oil, um, out of the Gardendale. So we, we built and operated the first pipeline to, to haul crude oil out of the Gardendale area during the Eagleford boom. And when you talk about Midstar and Blackbrush, uh, if you are familiar with Eagle Ford in San Antonio, you are familiar that they've been around and, and they were pretty big players here. Actually, I think y'all's offices is off of 281 or something. I think we actually housed with you guys for a while or very close to mm-hmm. uh, where your offices are. So out of that spun off 
Epic Pipeline LP? That's correct. So, so when we started, uh, started looking outside of just the Eagleford, uh, we started focusing on the Permian. The Permian was clearly um, an exploding play that was uh, really uh, getting a lot of the capital dollars. And so we started uh, started focusing our efforts in the Permian. So our, our lineage being from South Texas and knowing about uh, Corpus and, the, uh, and, and what it had to offer as an end market, um, we, we wanted to differentiate our projects versus the ones that were out there heading to Houston. So, um, so we started uh, piecing these projects together. For, we've got two, two separate and uh, distinct projects. Uh, one for crude oil, one for NGL. We can go into details on those a little bit later. We really felt like uh, Corpus had a lot more to offer uh, from an export right. and a processing facility. Well, you've versus got the port Houston. of Corpus Christi right there That's versus correct. Houston. Well, let's back up a little bit and, and tell me how long have you been with Epic Pipeline? How did you come in to the company? What's your background? Sure. So um, I uh, I started in the oil industry as a uh, as a marketing guy for the a small refinery here in San Antonio. It was a family-owned business called Age Refining. Um, so I uh, started as a sales guy and ended up uh, being becoming one of the three directors of the uh, refining uh, company there. Um, and left uh, left that company in 2010, um, following the owner of the refinery at the time, a guy named Glenn Gonzalez, and uh, we took trucking and pipeline assets um, that were that were working for the refinery and developed some businesses. And uh, we operated those during the Eagleford boom. And uh, in 2013, uh, we sold both those businesses to Techstar. Um, so I'd known Phil Maisie, the CEO for Techstar for many years, being in the San Antonio area. We had worked on uh, quite a few projects with the refinery with the Phil and his midstream group and uh, made the transition uh, over to Techstar, and uh, so I've been there for five plus years. And your role as Vice President of Commercial Operations, what specifically are you in charge of doing for Epic Pipeline? Yeah, sure. So uh, I am the, uh, uh, so I, I work with business development, basically. So we, we've been, um, my role with the company has been uh, for the last three years working on developing relationships with producers in markets uh, and basically bringing um, volume, capacity, and in markets to both the uh, the NGL and the crude projects. How big is Epic Pipeline as a company? How many employees do you guys have? We have a Houston presence right downtown in Houston, um, where a lot of our uh, frack engineering and we do have some business development folks there in Houston as well. Um, you're in this industry; it's hard to keep yourself out of Houston. That's where a lot of the oh. uh, commercial opportunities are, obviously. Um, and then we have a Midland office as well. So as our business continued to grow, it was important for us to have a uh, have a Midland presence, have somebody there in the in the town. Um, and uh, so we've we've uh, just recently added the uh, the Midland office as well. Total um, total employees were were about about uh, eighty employees total. Nice. The company. Well, you know, if you're not in Houston and you're not in Midland. If you're in oil and gas, you're really not anywhere. <laughs> you kind of have to be. That is correct. Uh, we are going to have to take a quick break. But when we return, uh, Jeff, I'd like to get into the actual pipeline and the discussion on pipeline as well. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Join us Saturday, October 20th at Sam Houston Park for the 8th Annual Energy Day, one of Houston's largest free 
family festivals. Energy Day has music, food, games, and fun. Enjoy over 60 interactive exhibits showcasing science, technology, engineering, mathematics, energy, and careers. Don't miss out on the fun. Admission is free. Brought to you by Caterpillar, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, Consumer Energy Education Foundation, and the Consumer Energy Alliance. For more information, visit energydayfestival.org. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. We're back. You're listening to and the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jeff Darrow, who is the Vice President of Commercial Operations for Epic Pipeline LP. And Jeff, before the break, uh, uh, we were talking a little bit about Epic as a company, your role with the company. But before we get started, let's talk about how completed is Epic's pipeline within Texas. Sure. So, so there's two, as I mentioned earlier, there's two separate projects. One is a, an NGL pipeline. And so then we're, we're uh, our project is, uh, it actually starts in New Mexico. So we're about 30 miles north uh, of the uh, New Mexico-Texas border. And we have laid in our, our operational in 200 miles of, of NGL uh, pipeline from New Mexico down into uh, a town called Benedum, where we've got an interconnect into um, a CPKM's EZ line, where we're delivering natural gas liquids from... Uh, from our customers um, out of New Mexico and Texas. And then we're in the construction phase on what we're calling phase three. So the remaining 500 miles of pipe that's gonna be built from Benedum South into, uh, into Corpus, Robstown, where, where our fractionator um, is currently under construction as well, uh, where we will be processing those natural gas liquids and uh, turn in, turning those into purity products. So. We're laying a lot of pipe. We got uh, we got three contractors, five spreads working on the uh, the remaining 500 miles of that uh, NGL pipeline. And so, right away is right away is finished. Uh, and when we uh, acquired this right away, we acquired it for both projects, not just the NGL pipeline, but the uh, the crude oil pipeline as well, which will be constructed basically in the same. There there are a few. Um, 
few different locations uh, in the in the Permian Basin to tie in the different crude terminals that we're building. But for a vast vast majority of the uh, the right of way, we have acquired both uh, NGL and crude right of way. And uh, when we complete construction of the NGL pipeline, we're just going to turn around and build the uh, the crude oil line in the same same ditch. What dates are you looking at for completions? Yeah, lucky for us, I mean, uh, constructing pipelines in, in uh, Texas is is probably one of the better places to lay pipeline. <laughs> really? um, it's a it's it has its challenges um, with uh, you know with permitting. All those things take time. Um, but our projects, both crude oil and the NGL, we've been at it for a long time. Um, for us, it was uh, it was helpful when we're going out and touching permits and uh, landowners for two projects. Um, it, it actually expedites the process a little bit for the second projects, especially. Um, but because isn't it kind of already running through? Because I want to just kind of back up and give sure. give an understanding as to how uh, how many different government agencies it takes to get a pipeline done. Because you're dealing with the Corps of Engineers, mm-hmm. and as you're laying your pipe and going through your permitting, you're dealing with these different government agencies, and we all know in a nice way the government is just a big, huge bureaucracy. So. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine getting anything done when you're dealing with five, six different agencies and they're all having to approve as you're going through phases. Uh, and it's just going to get more complicated in 2019. Uh, but yet, we definitely need pipeline. So you're scheduled to complete in Corpus in... at the So the NGL uh, pipeline will be constructed and complete construction on just the pipe itself. Here in uh, second uh, second quarter of 2019, uh, our fractionator is uh, like I mentioned is is uh, they're starting civil work down in Robstown as we speak. Um, they're they're uh, we've selected a, a contractor for all of that, uh, and so the the construction of the fractionator itself will be complete at the end of 2019, early 2020. So we are, yes. So we we've. The, any of these projects, we rely on um, we rely on a lot of uh, help with the permitting. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, lucky for us. We've um, a lot of great attorneys, I would imagine, <laughs> that have to know what they're doing. Spent a lot of quality time with attorneys, <laughs> that's for sure. But uh, you know, we've we've got local guys that are in our offices that are that are uh, experts in the permitting process that um, are super helpful. And they've done this a lot of times. Uh, but again, I, I won't underestimate or you know understate how um, helpful the the business climate is in Texas, especially for midstream pipelines. Um, and uh, you do get uh, you do get the support of both landowners. Uh, a vast majority of the landowners are, are super helpful. They understand the business. The environment for laying pipelines it, it couldn't be any better than in the great state of Texas. Very good. When we get back from break, I, w- I want to talk about why uh, Corpus Christi was selected versus Houston. Uh, but we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Join us Saturday, October 20th at Sam Houston Park for the 8th Annual Energy Day, one of Houston's largest free family festivals. Energy Day has music, food, games, and fun. Enjoy over 60 interactive exhibits showcasing science, technology, engineering, mathematics, energy, and careers. Don't miss out on the fun. Admission is free. Brought to you by Direct Energy, Golden Pass, Noble, 
Consumer Energy Education Foundation and the Consumer Energy Alliance. For more information, visit energydayfestival.org. And we're back. Our guest today is Jeff Darrow, who is Vice President of Commercial Operations for Epic Pipeline LP. And Jeff, before the break, we were talking about uh, your completion of our, the com- company's completion of the pipeline. And uh, so, so obviously you guys selected Corpus Christi mm-hmm. as your final destination versus Houston. We talked about that a little bit earlier. But I want to uh, get into that a little bit more because one of our great partners is the Port of Corpus Christi. And, and you heard it at the State of Energy. They want to be known as the energy port of the United States. I don't think they're too far off from that because, honestly, the logistics and the location and you see all the construction. I mean, that town is open for business when it comes down to oil and gas. And uh, the Houston Chip Channel, it's an amazing port, but it's just a little bit uh, different in what they uh, ship out. And so... Tell me, what was the reasoning behind why you guys selected Corpus Christi versus Houston? Sure. So I've spent a lot of time talking about the NGL project. Um, we've actually been working on the crude oil project itself longer than the NGL. And uh, we made a decision very early on to steer our barrels towards Corpus Christi for, for a lot of reasons. Um, one, we were super familiar with it, um, understood the business climate down there and the, uh, the aggressive nature of the port of Corpus Christi. Um, they are, they're great to deal with. They are aggressive and, uh, there's, there's available, um, land for, uh, for purchase and for, uh, for expansion. Um, so when we started looking at it, obviously we had a connection to South Texas with our Eagle for days. Um, but, uh, we were, uh, looking to differentiate our projects. So, um, when, when you're moving crude oil, you need, uh, clean access to the water, um, even though Houston has much more refining capacity than Corpus does, Corpus still has roughly a million barrels worth of refining capacity uh, per day. That's that's chewed through between Valero, Flint Hills, and Sitco down there. Um, so it's it's a nice market. Plus, the production in the in the Permian as it grows, they're going to expand to the point where uh, the next barrel that hits either Corpus or Houston is not going to be locally refined, and because of that. Um, Houston is going to be in the same predicament as, as Corpus is that you need to find a way to, uh, since the export ban has been lifted, you need to find a way to get that barrel under the water. And for us, uh, it was a no brainer. Corpus was the place to go. So Cactus One was the first project that, uh, was headed down to Corpus and, uh, and the Epic Crude Oil Pipeline, we were the second, uh, crude oil line. Since then, there's been a bunch of projects that have been announced and uh, more projects that are heading to Corpus. But uh, we made that determination that Houston has uh, roughly twice the fog days as Corpus does for just moving moving uh, ships in and out of the ship channel. And in addition to that, the Port of Corpus Christi is expandable, as I mentioned before. And Houston was basically set up as, a, as an oil importer. So they, that, they've set that market up for a long time to bring in um, bring in crude oil from all over the world um, and bring it into that port. And so when you start to, when you share um, the Houston ship channel with um, with containers that come in. Um, Which that's a huge part of, of 
the uh, Houston Chip Channel or, or uh, the containers as well. So there's just like a lot of traffic. People don't realize that, but picture it at, you know, 5 o'clock rush hour traffic. Well, that's kind of what happens on these ports or at least in Houston. There's yeah, a lot and, of traffic. That's right. And, and in addition to that, there's, there's uh, you know, twice the fog days, but it's it's some of the most expensive and costly uh, and, and time-consuming places to lay to lay and build infrastructure. Um, so you, you couple that with uh, the fact that uh, it's a non-attainment area because of, uh, you know, the uh, the air qualities. Uh, so all the permitting process. more to do business there too. And it, it just takes more. more time. So so we we um, we like that from a perspective of our NGL project, but uh, from a crude oil export uh, perspective, um, it was uh, very apparent to us very early on that uh, Corpus was going to be offering a lot of benefits that uh, that we couldn't see in Houston. Excellent. Um, let's switch gears just a little bit. I, I, I want to talk about infrastructure and uh, and pipeline. Uh, we all remember uh, Keystone, uh, Dakota uh, pipeline as well. Um, and there was a lot of media uh, surrounding uh, pipelines. And I think a lot, the perception obviously was pipelines are really bad. Uh and we're starting to see a slowdown in the Permian Basin just due to the lack of infrastructure in Permian Basin because they don't have the ability to get the oil, natural gas to market wherever it's going because it lacks uh, that infrastructure. Uh, I want to get your opinion on how important is pipeline to continuing to develop oil and gas, rather it's in the United States, ex- to export to other countries. Talk to me about your belief and why pipeline is so important and is it also the safest way of uh of getting natural gas and crude to market so yeah so the uh the pipeline infrastructure is basically the arteries that that uh, allow the uh, production of crude oil and, and natural gas and gas itself to be produced um you're, you're seeing it in the um in the slowdown of rigs or non-completion of wells that are being completed in the Permian Basin, these projects take a long time to build. These are these are multi-billion-dollar projects that we're that we're focusing on. As we mentioned, the permitting process takes time, um, and so it these projects have to be done in advance of when they're being needed to be uh, to be used. Um, so you're you're seeing yourself in a predicament right now that you know we've been uh, chasing these projects for multiple years. The, uh, the producers just were not prepared and ready to make the commitments necessary to kick these projects off. And now we're getting to a point where we really needed to be constructing these pipelines and fractionators uh, two years ago to meet their current needs. And now with the, uh, the, the amount of growth in the Permian Basin. Which is mind boggling. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> and it's got a lot of legs to grow even more. Some of, some of these uh, uh, conferences that you attend say that, uh, you know, we're at, we're at two and a half to three million barrels a day, and they could be as high as eight million barrels a day, <laughs> which means there's a lot of crude and there's a lot of gas and there's a lot of NGLs that have to be taken away. Um, but we can't do that unless you have the pipeline infrastructure to take it away. If uh, crude oil can be moved on truck, um, and I think we've all driven the highways and shared uh, shared the lanes with uh, with these wheelers. large eighteen wheelers. Yeah. It's uh, it's not these. It's not a safe way to move crude oil. Not to mention they burn diesel. So we really want to talk about the environment. I mean, you put more. I'd rather have it underground being transported than have a hundred more trucks on the road in which they're burning diesel and having wrecks. So um, something to think about. 
But we do have to take a quick break. When we return, I want you to tell me how do pipelines get built? Because uh, it's a pretty interesting story as far as your customers and and how y'all go about setting up a pipeline. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Oil-filled experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil-filled equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. We're back. You're listening to and the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jeff Darrow, who is the Vice President of Commercial Operations for Epic Pipeline LP. Jeff, we've talked a lot about the process, uh, the environment. How do we, you know, why did you select, why did the company select Corpus Christi? Uh, I want to switch gears and quickly just talk about, give me an idea of what creating a pipeline uh, or building it um, and the customers. Um, my understanding is uh Everything is done before you even lay your first, before you even open the ground to lay your first pipe. So what does that process look like for a pipeline company? Sure, that's a great question. So that that's basically my role. So as the, as the business development person, uh, the way that these, uh, these pipeline projects get uh, uh, backed is we go out, we sign up producers uh, to fill the space, and they make long-term commitments to ship on our, our pipelines. Um, we execute... Um, all the agreements we file, we, we, we come together with the, uh, ours is a FERC regulated pipeline. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of lawyer time and a lot of uh, legal documents have to be pulled into place. But basically we, we go out, we sign customers up and we fill up, uh, if not all of the space, a majority of the space under long-term contracts. And then, uh, then we go out and, and that's what's required basically to uh, secure the amount of financing it takes to build these, uh, build these projects. It's almost like the perfect business model because before you even open your doors, you already have all of your customers signed up and ready to go. Uh, so very interesting. Uh, let's switch gears. You talked earlier in the show about, uh, your crude pipeline that you guys are working on. Tell me a little bit about where you are in that phase. Sure. So, uh, so we're, we're finishing our second open season. We had a uh, first open season that was very successful. We signed up, uh, 425,000 barrels a day. Brought on some great strategic partners in uh, in Noble, uh, Apache, and we were glad to add Diamondback to the to the list. 
Um, now, these mostly are operators that are coming out of the Permian Basin, correct? That's correct. All of those are, are current operators out of the Permian Basin. Um, and uh, so we, we like the alignment of bringing in equity partners that are also producers, uh, just because uh, previously, we you know, a lot of these bigger projects get done when two midstream companies get together that have been fighting over the same uh, barrels or NGL liquids uh, and combine their projects together. We went after this from a producer perspective. We we want them to be uh, to have their uh, interests aligned with us, so that they will you know see the benefit of shipping on the line because they're an equity owner. Um, and then the next uh, acreage that they're able to buy or the next uh, barrel that they're able to pull out of the ground will be brought to our project because they're an owner. So it's it's a really neat alignment. These producers are understanding that the commitments that they're making are building these pipelines and they want to be a part of the, uh, of these projects. So it's a natural, it's been an interesting evolution of the business over the last few years. Uh, but a lot of these projects are based on, uh, partnerships with the midstream companies such as Epic and these, uh, oil producers in the Permian. I think once the, uh, crude ban was lifted, which was a ban that was in place for more than 40 years or 40 years, um, you, I don't think these operators, the upstreamers, really uh, thought that far in. Uh, oil prices were high, and let's just, you know, kind of drill, baby, drill. And now we're in a, they're in a situation where uh, the infrastructure is important. Um, and um, it's good to see that as complicated as oil and gas is, which most people just really, they go to their gas pump, they fill up their car, and they're gone. Um it's very complicated. You have an upstream, you have a midstream, and then you have your downstream. And all of these three streams must work together mm-hmm. in order to get anything to market, whether it's natural gas, crude. Um, and so it's a, an interesting uh, dynamics to see what's occurred in the last couple of years as a ban has been lifted. Crude oil is going to be, uh, like I mentioned, we're in the same ditch. We've acquired the right of way. We're going to begin construction soon uh it'll be late this year when we start uh physically so it'll putting start pipe this in the year yes sometime um and so uh that that will be happening real time and then we're going to be constructing that 700 ish miles of pipe and you're the guy that's responsible for going and selling that whole pipeline out right yes ma'am so so those <laughs> you're that's be the pretty first, busy that first se- first and second open season uh that we've we've already signed all the first open season barrels uh, now is it an actual season no it's just so they call go it an up. open season, but it's just a it's a period of time where where we go out to market and say, look, this is this is what we're going to be offering, and uh, we 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 keep it fair for everybody offering the same level of service during this open season, and it basically just gives uh, people that are interested uh, a period of time to go through all the documents and and sign up. How do up you also like companies? Um, well, there's a lot of criteria. Uh, obviously, we the the most important is uh, they have to be in good rock, right? So you have to be a you, you pick your producer based on where they are, how uh, prolific they think we think their, uh, their their production could be. The balance sheet doesn't hurt, right? right. They got to have some money in the bank to be able right. to pay their uh, their tariffs on our pipeline. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, we we like the strategicness of, of some of the partners that are uh, big enough and uh, sophisticated enough to be able to uh, to see the value of, of, you know, having a potential ownership in this pipe as well as uh, having exposure to an export market. Interesting. Uh, so some of the biggest producers out there are Concho and uh, Pioneer. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you go to open season, I'm sure you'll probably be knocking on their doors. Hello. 
We've been at uh, we've been at all those offices and more. So yeah, during during the height of this, we were in forty plus producers' offices over uh, two year periods. So yeah, we've we've gotten a, handed out a lot of business cards and uh, traveled a lot of miles. But uh, it's it's been a ton of fun putting all this together. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of pipelines coming out of Midland, so I see big things for Epic Pipeline LP. Jeff, thank you for coming into studio and talking to us a little bit about pipeline. It was a treat because we mostly talk about the upstream part, mm-hmm. and it was good to hear a little bit of the midstream part. Thank you again for coming into studio and talking to us. And we look forward to having you coming back and giving us an update here in the near future. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again, Jeff, for being a guest on our show today. And congratulations because you are the topic of today's trivia question. Email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And you will have a chance to win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, what is the company that Jeff Darrow works for? Remember to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com and you'll have a chance to win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the Brazilian steakhouse. If you are interested in keeping up with In the Oil Patch Radio Show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www dot shellmag.com again that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com and sign up for our free newsletter that is going to wrap up another great show we'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews until then adios in the oil patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil gas business and in your community every week your host kim Bellotto will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry you'll hear from industry experts elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.